0: All right, well, we're there in Isaiah chapter 55, and this chapter actually has uh, quite a few uh, famous verses in Isaiah 55, and we'll deal with them uh, tonight. There's there's three points I'd like to kind of bring your attention to out of this passage, so for those of you that like to take notes, we'll just jump right in. If you look at verse number 1, the Bible says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money... Come ye, buy and eat, yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, I want you to keep your finger there in Isaiah 55 and go with me to the New Testament book of John, John chapter number 7. If, if you go to the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, in John, we find a conversation that Jesus had with a lady, a woman, at the well. And I believe that Jesus was referencing Um, at least thinking about this passage in Isaiah as he was talking to her. So keep your finger there in Isaiah 55 and and go to John chapter number 7 so we can kind of go back and forth a little bit. And for those of you who like to take uh, take notes... The Point number one is the first thing we see in this passage is that the salvation of God is purchased. The salvation of God is purchased. We see that in verses one and two. Notice what the Bible says in John chapter seven and verse number 37. The Bible says this, and the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirsts. Let him come unto me and drink. Now flip back to Isaiah 55 and notice what verse 1 says Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Now, here's what you got to understand. In these passages, salvation is pictured as water, you know, and and the need for salvation as someone being thirsty and drinking from those waters. Go back to John chapter 7, look at verse 37. Notice what he says. He says in the last day that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, "If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink." Notice verse 38, just to make sure we're looking at it in its context. You say, "How do you know it's about salvation?" But he that believeth on me, as the Scriptures hath said, Now, I want you to remember that phrase, as the scripture had said. He said, he that believeth on me, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You say, what are you talking about, Jesus? Look at verse 39. But this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, we know that Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, after he was resurrected in his glorified body, he breathed on the disciples, and he gave them the spirit, and we understand that it wasn't until after his glorification that the Spirit was given at, at the time of salvation, and that's what it's referring. But I just want you to notice that when he says to the woman at the well that if you drink a, a, of the water, he said, I'm sorry, not the woman at the well, good night. When, when, when he's, he's talking here about drinking of the water, he's talking about believing on me, and he's talking about receiving the Holy Ghost, and he's talking about getting the salvation. I, I'm, I'm going to take you to the passage of the woman at the well. Uh, that's not the passage that we're looking at right now. But I want you to go back to verse number one. Notice what he says, Isaiah 55 and verse one. And I want you to just get the context that this thirsting of the water is a picture and a reference to salvation. Because notice what he says in verse 1. And it's interesting. He says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Okay, And that's just what Jesus said. He says, Let him come unto me and drink. He says, Believe on me if you're thirsty. But then notice what it says in verse 1 of Isaiah 55. He that hath no money, come ye. Okay, So he says, If you don't have any money, to purchase the water, he said, "Just come on anyway." He said, "You don't, you don't need money." He said, it, it, "You don't have to buy it." Now you say, "Well, is there a contradiction in Scripture?" Because notice what he says. He says, "He that hath no money, come ye." buy and eat ye, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now you say, well, is Isaiah confused? Because he's saying if you don't have any money, come on, you know, come on, we'll give you the water, we'll give you the milk, we'll give you the, you know, if you don't have any money, notice what he says. He says, without money, without price. He says, you can buy it You can purchase it, he said, even if you don't have money, and even if you don't have uh, the means to be able to purchase it. And you say, what is that talking about? And here's what you've got to understand. Go back to the New Testament, but go to the book of Romans. You're there in John. If you go past the book of Acts and then into the book of Romans, you've got to understand the, the, the way that the Bible talks about salvation is this. Salvation is free. You do not need to purchase it. You do not need to buy it. If you have no money, you can still get it. But here's what you got to understand. It was free, but it was purchased. It was free, but it's been paid for. It's not that it's free or that it's cheap or that, you know, uh, no one had to pay for it. It had to be purchased. It had to be redeemed. It had to be bought, but not by you. You can come and drink for free. It's been bought, but someone else paid for it. Say, what are you talking about? Look at Romans chapter 6. These are famous soul winning verses, but they're great verses. Look at what the Bible says. Romans chapter 6. Look at verse number 23. Romans chapter number 6, verse 23. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You don't have to turn there. Actually, go ahead and turn there because we're going to go to Romans. We're going to go to Ephesians. We're going to go back to Isaiah. Then we're going to go back to John. We're going to go back to Romans. We're going to go back to Ephesians. Just kind of remember how to go to all of those. But go go to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 8 and 9. Famous verses. You probably haven't memorized. The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Notice, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And God uses this illustration about salvation and He calls it a gift. Now, here's what you gotta understand gift is a perfect illustration for salvation. Because here's the thing about a gift it's free to the receiver, but it costs something to the giver. If I give you a gift, if I bought you a birthday gift, I can't charge you for it, I can't ask you to pay for it, I can't ask you to do anything for it, because a gift, by definition, is free. You don't purchase it. But here's the thing. If I give you a gift, I have to pay for it. And see, the gift of God is the exact same way. It's not that it was free, Jesus paid for it. It's not that it wasn't purchased, God paid for it with the blood of his son, but to you and I, it's free. And that's why Isaiah says here, he says, hey, you can come to the waters, you can come if you're thirsty. He says, if you don't have any money, it's okay, buy it anyway. You say, how am I going to buy it if I don't have the means, if I don't have the ability? And that's what salvation is. It's not that you go to church or that you live a good life or that you repent of your sins or that you turn over a new leaf or that you got baptized is not about what you've done, it's about what Jesus did to purchase the salvation, because it is free to you. But it costs Him something. And that's why, you know, whenever I go soul, winning, I always use that illustration about the, the salvation being a gift, because it's the perfect illustration in the fact that it costs Jesus Christ, His blood on the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection. But to those of us who receive it, do we need to earn it? Do we need to pay for it? No, it's absolutely free. Do you need any money? No, but it had to be purchased. Now, notice, notice what the Bible says. Go, go, back to Isaiah, um, go back to Isaiah 55. Look at verse number 2. Isaiah 55. Look at verse number 2. Notice what the Bible says. Wherefore, do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Here's what he said. He's saying, he's saying you can come drink of the water, and if you have no money, it's fine. It's, it's free. Someone else will buy it for you. But then he says this. But instead, here's what you're doing. You are spending your money. You are spinning your wheels. He says you spend money for that which is not bread. He said, he said you're spending money for that which is not going to last. He says, and your, notice this word, labor. Do you see that? Your labor for that which satisfieth not. He said, hearken diligently unto me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight in self in fatness. Here's what he's saying. You're trying to labor. He said, you're trying to work. He said, you're trying to earn something and it doesn't satisfy. He said, you're trying to get something and you're trying to, you know, purchase something by your own merit. And he said, it's not going to get you anywhere. Now, notice Jesus uh, uh, ta- ta- talked about this, too. Go back to John, but go to John chapter four. This, this is the passage about the woman at the well that I want to show you. John chapter four. Look at verse number seven. You can make your way back to John. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter four. John chapter four. Now, notice it's the same idea. The water, John chapter 4. We're not going to take time to read the whole passage because we just don't have time for that. But uh, look at verse 7 to get a little bit of the context and then we'll skip down to verse number 10. You can read it on your own if you'd like. John chapter 4, look at verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Now, skip down to verse number 10, all right? There's a conversation that goes back and forth, but just go to verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift, notice, the gift of God, and that's what salvation is. It's a gift. It's free to you, but someone paid for it. If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is deep, from whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him, in him a well of water springing up into, make note of these words, everlasting life. Here's what you got to understand. The gift that God gives you satisfies. The gift that God gives you lasts forever. The gift that God, when you drink of the waters of salvation, you never thirst again. You don't need another drink. Once you're saved, you're always saved, is what the Bible says. And see, this idea that people have today where they say, oh, it can't be that simple. You've got to repent repent of your sin. You've got to live a good life. You've got to go to church. You've got to do something in order to be safe. Here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to pay for a gift when the gift is free. When the gift has already been paid for. When the gift is all they need to do is accept it, is receive it, is drink it. And once you have it, guess what? It satisfies forever. But here's what Isaiah says. He says, you're trying to spend money for that which is not. He said, your labor for that which satisfieth not. He said, he said the, the waters that God will give you, he said, those waters will last forever. Go back to Isaiah 55. Notice, notice what the Bible says. Look at verse number, uh, let's see, uh, skip down to verse number 7. Notice what the Bible says in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon See, God is ready. God is willing. God wants to. Forgive. Later on in the passage, we'll look at it here in a second, he talks about the fact that he's going to give you an everlasting covenant. So the first thing we see in this passage is the fact that the salvation of God is purchased. People mock us and they'll say, oh, you're one of those people who thinks you don't have to do anything but believe. And they'll say, you guys teach a cheap salvation. Hey, our salvation wasn't cheap. It was purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. It's actually a cheap salvation to think that I'm going to go to heaven because I went to church on Sunday. I mean, to think that me going to church, or me getting baptized, or I stop drinking, or I stop smoking, that's what's going to get me to heaven. Hey, that's the cheap salvation, the fact that I can earn my salvation by the way that I live my life. See, look, you either believe, and people get all confused, and say, you know, how do you know that you're right? And Well, we know that we're right because the Bible's on our side. That's how we know we're right, number one. But people say, you know, how do you know that your religion is right and everybody else is wrong? Listen, there's only two ways of belief. You either believe that salvation is by grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You either believe that you cannot save yourself and you needed someone to give you salvation, or you believe what everybody else believes, which is you earn your way to heaven. And I mean, all the, you know, just apostate Christians, it doesn't matter, Islam, you know, Hinduism, it doesn't matter what Mormonism, Joe, they all, if you boil it all down, it all comes down to the same thing. If you live a good enough life, hopefully God will let you into heaven. If you do enough good works, hopefully God will let you into heaven. And the Bible says, hey, you come to salvation. And the person would say, Well, I've got nothing to pay for it. He says, Just come anyway. It's already been paid for. It's free. It's a gift. It'll last forever. So you say, what do we see in this passage? Number one, we see that the salvation of God is purchased in verses one and two. Number two, like you notice in verse three, that the search for God is pressing. The search for God is pressing. See, once you get saved, God doesn't want you to just keep living the way you're living. People get this idea that we teach, you know, you say, oh, you you guys believe in eternal security. You believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. You believe that God gives you everlasting life. Wasn't that what he said? I mean, if it lasts forever, then it should never end. And, and then they'll say, you guys are just giving people a license to sin. You're just letting them do whatever they want. And it's always funny to me when people say that to me, because I think to myself, you know, find me a church in Sacramento that preaches harder against sin than Mary Baptist Church. I mean, we'll sit here and tell you, you can do whatever you want and still be saved because Jesus Christ paid for your sin. He gave you everlasting life. But guess what? We're not just saying just do whatever you want. Because guess what? When God saves you, He then expects you to seek after Him. Look at verse 3. Isaiah 55, look at verse 3. Notice what it says. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make, notice, an everlasting covenant with you. How long does a covenant last for? Forever. Even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation. That thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Notice verse 6. Seek ye the Lord. It says, look, when you get saved, God wants you to develop a relationship with him. God wants you to seek after him. But, but notice what he says. He says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. See, you've got to understand this. With God, God is not just sitting around just waiting for you, because people have this idea like, I'm just going to go out and sow my wild oats, I'm just going to go do whatever I want, and whenever I decide you know, I'm ready, I'm going to come back to God. And here's what you got to understand, God is not just sitting around waiting for you to come to Him. And that's both for saved and unsaved people. Now, we understand that for unbelievers. We say, hey, if you reject God and you reject him long enough, he'll eventually reject you. And we understand that. That's called the doctrine of being a reprobate. And we get that. But you know what? It's the same thing for believers. You say, Are you talking about losing your salvation? I'm not talking about losing your salvation. But just because you're saved doesn't mean that God's going to do whatever you want. And eventually there comes a place where a believer just lives so ungodly and does so, so much, where God says, you know what, I, I'm done with you, not in reference to salvation, but he's just, I'm not going to deal with you anymore. And he might just go ahead and take you home. He might just go ahead, you know, Brother David and I were talking about Saul, uh, when we are out Saul winning. Saul was saved. Yet Saul crossed a line where God said, you know what, I'm done with you, Saul, and he sends an evil spirit to make him go insane. And you say, well, well, well you know, that can happen to believers? Saul was saved. The Bible tells us he was saved. And you, you you get this idea that God's just gonna take me back whenever I want. No, the Bible says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call unto him while he is near, and he may not want you back. He may just go ahead and send an evil spirit to make you go crazy. He may just go ahead and send an evil spirit and say, I'm done with you. Notice verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his law and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And listen, it's for unbelievers and for believers. I'm not teaching believers can lose their salvation. In fact, I just got done preaching that you can't lose your salvation, okay? But what I'm saying is this. There comes a time with even believers where they cross a line and God just says, you know what? I don't have any to use for you. And if you're going to come to God, you need to come because it's a pressing matter. It's an urgent matter. You've got to seek the Lord while he may be found. You've got to call upon him while he is near. Now, notice, notice what it says in verse 7. He says, he, he says, if you're going to come to God, if you're going to seek after God, you've got to separate yourself from the world. And you find this all throughout the Bible. Let me give you one example. Go to Ezra chapter number 6. Ezra chapter number six and look at verse number 21. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, you get in those books right there. Ezra chapter 6, look at verse number 21. You find this consistently all throughout the Bible, but I'll just give you one clear example. Ezra chapter number six and verse number 21. Ezra chapter number six and verse number 21. Ezra 621, the Bible says this, and the children of Israel which were come again out of captivity, and all such as had, notice, separated themselves unto them from the filthiness of the heathen of the land. Why did they separate themselves from the filthiness of the heathen of the land? To seek the Lord God of Israel did eat. See, when you decide, when you get to the place where you say, I'm going to actively, Purposely seek after God. I'm going to begin to read my Bible. I'm going to begin to pray. I'm going to begin to start showing up to church consistently. I'm going to start listening to the preaching. I'm going to start, you know, memorizing scripture. I'm going to get to the place. I'm going to find out what God wants me to do, and I'm going to do it. And here's what you got to understand the moment you decide to do that, you have to make the decision to forsake or to separate from the world. You know, the Bible says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. You got to understand this: you cannot have fellowship. With the world and with God. You cannot love the world and love God. You cannot be in the filthiness of the world and be in fellowship with God. If you're going to seek after God, you've got to forsake the world. That's what the Bible says. And we get this type of Christianity that says, I'm only a Christian on Sunday, and on Monday I can turn on the television and watch all the garbage on TV, and on Tuesday I can just, you know, uh, you know be lazy and not read my Bible, and on Wednesday I'm just going to, you know, go on Facebook or go on the Internet and just look at a bunch of garbage. And we get this idea we can we just be in the world, you know, just saturated with the world, and Sunday, you know, that's my time when I'm with God. Hey, listen to me, if you're going to seek after God, you've got to separate yourself. Because here's the problem with being unclean, is that clean things don't make unclean things clean. Do you understand that? Dirty things make clean things dirty. But if you're going to keep something clean, you've got to separate it from that which is dirty. And in your Christian life, it's the same way. You say, I'm just going to hang around these people. I know, they're, I know they talk about filthy things. You know, they're my friends. I know they're living ungodly lives, but I'm going to try to help them out, and I'm going to try to clean them up. You're not going to clean them up. They're going to dirty you up is what's going to happen. They're going to mess you up. They're going to bring you down. And you've got to understand this, because people people come to our church and they'll say, I love the preaching, I love the Bible, but I just can't, you know, I don't know that I can really live that life, you know, and separate myself from the world, because, you know, it's just the world, you know, everybody thinks a certain way, and if I start doing what the Bible says, I'm going to be different. But Isaiah knew that, notice verse 8. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, you've got to understand this. If you're going to start living for God, if you're going to start seeking after God, if you're going to start having the mind of Christ, you're going to have to start thinking differently than the way the world thinks. This world is crazy. I don't know if you know that. This world is insane they think we're weird because we don't think, because we think that, you know, we think there's something wrong with Planned Parenthood taking the child, the the body of an unborn child and selling its arms and legs and head, you know, we think that's wicked and the world says, oh no, my body, my choice. That's insanity. It's, Craziness. And we sat up and preached against it, and people say, I can't believe you to say that in 2015. Listen to me. It's because the thoughts of God are higher than the thoughts of this world. They think it's normal for a man to go to bed with a man. They think it's normal to, you know, kill an unborn child. They think it's normal to just live in the oppressive government that we live in. And we look at it and say, that's not what the Bible teaches. But they think we're weird. And you just got to live with that. See, if you're going to follow God, you're just going to have to get to the place where, you, where people look at you and they say, why do you dress that way? Why are you going to church so much? Why are you reading that book? And you just got to realize the thoughts of God are not our thoughts. Go to Romans chapter 12. Let me give you a couple of examples. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We get accused of, you know, being a cult or something. Sometimes. Not all the time. Uh, people tell me, like, you guys, you guys got some sort of a cult. Because, like, because like I raise my voice while I'm preaching. We're some sort of a cult. You know, they never read in the Bible where it says cry aloud and spare not. I think to myself, man, if I'm a cult leader, good night. I'm, like, the most failure of a cult leader that there's ever been. You know what I mean? Every cult leader I've ever heard of, you know, has, like, all these people, like, just giving them money and just living in the, you know, they get the nicest thing. I'm like, good night. I, I chose the wrong cult, you know. Jesus telling me to serve people. Jesus teaching me servant leadership. Are you there in Romans chapter 12? Look at verse 1. Romans chapter 12. And by the way, a cult by definition is someone who's following a man. We're not following a man. We're following the God man. He's more than a man. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 1. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And by the way, that's the only way you can come to God is holy acceptable unto God. Notice verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. He says you got to be separated from the world. you got to be different from the world. People come here and say, why do you guys dress differently than the world dresses? Why, why is your music different than the, 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 the music of the world? Why is your Bible different than, than most of the Bibles that I see in these churches? You know, but here's what you got to understand. If we're going to follow after God, we cannot be conformed to this world. And by the way, that's what's wrong with this, you know, you know, liberal, shallow Christianity where you're supposed to go to church and it's supposed to feel as much like the world as possible. I mean, the Rick Warrens want you to walk into church and just feel like you're at a rock concert. They want, you know, the lights to be dim. They want you to just feel like you're at the bar. They want you to feel like you're at the casino because then you'll feel at home. Well, no, we need to be conformed not to the world. Look at verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. Now notice what it says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, if you're going to follow God, your mind has to be renewed because our thoughts are not the same as the thoughts of God. Our ways are not the same as the ways of God. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good acceptable and perfect will of God. And people say to me, oh, you're, you know, you guys are just preaching that Bible. You're brainwashing people. I, I, you know, I respond, their, their brains need to be washed. <laughs> they, our, our minds need to be renewed because the world has caused us to live. You know, you, you spend all this time watching television and then the world programs you to think a certain way. And by the way, that's why I call it programming." They're brainwashing you, and we need to renew your mind to think the way that God thinks. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 22. Remember I told you we we're going to go to Romans and Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 4, notice verse 22. Ephesians 4, 22, notice what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, the Bible says this, that you put off, that you put off like a coat, that you take off, that you put off concerning the former conversations, uh, the the, the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be, notice what it says, renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. See, if you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to put off the old man, you're going to have to put on the new man. And here's how you do it, having your mind renewed, having th- new thoughts thinking differently. See, we we get up here and we say, you know, these ladies they ought to stay home and raise their children. And people say, I can't believe you'd say that. You know, I grew up being told that my my little daughter could be uh, the next president of the United States of America. Why would you want your daughter to be like Hillary Clinton? I don't know. But, you know, I was just told that my little daughter could be the CEO of a company. I was told that my daughter could be the governor of the state of California. Why would I want her to stay home? The reason you think that way is because your mind has been brainwashed. You've been programmed to think a certain way. Because the greatest thing that a lady can do with her life is to raise a child, an eternal soul, for the glory of God. And God says that you were created to raise children, ladies. And today people say, I can't believe you would say that. But here's why you can't believe that. Because your mind has been programmed and needs to be renewed. It needs to be cleansed. It needs, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what do we see in this passage? Number one, we see that the salvation of God is purchased. You don't need money. It's been paid for. And once you have it, it satisfies. You drink of it once, and you're good to go. Number two, we see that the search for God is pressing. You've got to seek God while there is time. You've got to forsake the world, not not when you get around to it, but right now. Number three, we see the scriptures of God are powerful. Go back to Isaiah 55, look at verse number 10. Isaiah 55 and verse number 10. Notice what the Bible says. Isaiah 55 and verse 10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not hither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. Now, he's using an illustration. He's saying, in the way that the rain comes down, and it allows for fruit, and it allows for growth, he says, in the way that the rain comes out, and it waters the earth, and it brings forth and buds, and it gives seed to the sower, And bread to the eater. He says, notice verse 11. So shall, he says, in the same way, my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. He says, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. He says, the same way that rain comes down on the earth and brings fruit and brings growth. He, God says, my word is going to do the same thing. He said, it's not going to come back void. Now you say, what are you talking about? Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me give you a couple cross-references. 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse number 23. If you start at the end of the New Testament, eh, the book of Revelation, and go backwards, you go past Jude, 1, Second, and 3 John, you'll find 1, Second Peter. Close to the end, 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse number 23. See, so you got to understand this. The Bible... The word of God is what brings fruit. The word of God is what brings growth. The word of God is what brings salvation. Are you there in 1 Peter 1? Look at verse number 23. Being born again. Does that phrase sound familiar? Jesus Christ said in John, he said to Nicodemus that you must be born again. He said if you're going to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. It's a reference to salvation. And notice what he says. Being born again. Now notice, how do you get born again? Not not of corruptible seed. See, there is a seed that is corrupted. There is a seed that has error. There is a seed that has problems. There is a seed that is not reliable. And he says, when you get born again, you don't get born again of corruptible seed. Now notice what the Bible says, but of incorruptible you say, well, what is he talking about? And it's funny how God defines what he's talking about. He says, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. See, the Bible says you get saved by the incorruptible word. The Bible says that you get saved, you get born again, you get born into the family of God by God's incorruptible, not corruptible word. And by the way, that's why we need an incorruptible Bible. That's why we have to have a Bible that we can go to and say, this is God's perfect word. Because the only way you get saved is by God's incorruptible word. So if you've got a Bible and it's got mistakes in it, you've got a Bible and they pull verses from it, you've got a Bible and it attacks the deity of Christ and it attacks salvation by grace through faith and it attacks, you know, the, the virgin birth and it attacks all sorts of different doctrines and it says you gotta get baptized to be saved. If you got a Bible that is corrupted, you cannot get saved from that Bible. You need an incorruptible word. And by the way, that's why you need every single word of God Amen. go to go to let me just share a few verses with you go to Matthew chapter 4 look at verse number 4 notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 if you go back to the to the new to the beginning of the New Testament Matthew chapter 4 look at verse number 4 while you go there I'll read for you on of Proverbs chapter 30 Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5 says this every word of God is pure Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus said this, But He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. He didn't say every thought. He didn't say every idea. He didn't say, you know, dynamic equivalence. He said, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And here's what you got to understand. If we live by every word, if we're saved by every word, then we've got to have every word. And the question is this, where is it? Where is it? You know, because here's the thing. The NIV crowd doesn't say that their Bible is perfect. The American Standard crowd doesn't say their Bible is perfect. I'm here to tell you, the King James Bible is the inspired and preserved word of God, inerrant, without mistake. And if we don't have it, then where is it? Because Jesus said you need every word. Jesus said you need every word that God spoke. In order to be saved, you need the incorruptible word. You can't get saved without it. And people get this idea that, no, the Bible we have today has mistake. Then where is it? Well, you got to go back to the Greek. Let me explain something to you. The Greek is gone. It decinerated. It no longer exists. It hasn't been around for hundreds of years. People say, oh, you can get a Texas Receptus today. Let me, let me explain something to you. The Texas Receptus that you have today, the Greek New Testament you have today, was actually translated back from the King James into the Greek. And people want to go to the Greek to correct the King James Bible. The only reason you got a Greek Bible is because of the King James Bible. Because people decided, we need to get a Greek New Testament. And I'm all for that. I think Greek people should have a Greek New Testament. They said, well, here's the problem all the Greek manuscripts are gone. But the King James was translated from the Texas Receptus, so let's just retranslate it back into Greek. And then people want to take the retranslation and correct the Bible with it. Doesn't make any sense. And you say, well, you're going you're gonna to correct the, the King James from the, the fact that the Greek Bible came from King James. you say, well, I don't agree with that. You don't have to agree with that, but that's what we believe around here. Don't try to change it. We, we, we didn't, you know, we've been King James only since the day we started. You know how I know that? I was there. <laughs> people, people come to church and say, it's a little too loud. It was loud when you got here. Uh, the, the, the old hymns, they're, they're a little too old. They were old when you got here. The King James Bible, it's been King James since you got here. So don't try to change it. Don't try to fight it. You don't have to agree with it. That's fine with me. But don't try to fight it. Because we need the every word of God. If you're going to be born again. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. You're there and if you can remember where 1 Peter is. You go back past 1 Peter into James and into Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Look at verse 12. Not only does the Bible bring forth fruit. But the Bible is what brings forth growth. Sanctification. Sanctification. Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse 12. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. The word oracles is referring to the word of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use... Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The Bible is saying this. If you're going to grow spiritually, you will only grow spiritually by how much you use the Bible. And listen to me very carefully. Because we have a problem in our Fundamental Baptist movement, and I'm not talking about the lame IFBs. I'm talking about those that call this type of preaching or, you know, people that listen to Pastor Anderson or Pastor Dottie Romero, Pastor Dave Berzins, Pastor Jimenez. We've got a problem in this movement where we've got a whole lot of people that listen to a whole lot of YouTube and aren't reading their Bibles, and they don't know what they're talking about. And they get lotted off into these doctrines, you know, we got to forsake the assembling, and we got to go to the church homes, and we got to get rid of the pastors. And you listen to them talk, and they have no idea what they're talking about. And we're supposed to sit there and submit to some young guy that's read his Bible one and a half times. And the only way you grow and the reason you get let off with every wind of doctrine is because you've never read the Bible. And the way that you grow... The way that you learn, and we've got these guys who think they're going to be the next pastor, they're going to be the next leader of our fundamental Baptist movement, and they read their Bible two times. It's embarrassing. It's a shame. The way that you grow is to read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Get off of Facebook. Read the Bible. Get off of YouTube. Read the Bible. Stop listening to preaching. Read the Bible. So you are you against you? Look, I listen to preaching online all the time, but guess what I do before I listen to preaching? I read the Bible. I spend time with God. I get alone with God. I read the word of God. And if I don't have time, I don't listen to preaching, but I listen to the Bible. I read the Bible. I study the Bible. Because strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And by the way, that's our our plan for growth at Verity Baptist Church. People ask me, "What's, what's your plan for growth? This has been our plan for growth from day one. Our church is five years old now. We're a toddler, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. We're, we're ready for kindergarten. We're five years old. Say, how, 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 how do you grow the church? Here's how we grow the church. Here's been my agenda for church growth. You preach the Bible, and you allow the Bible to grow people. See, see the, a church is like a garden. When you plant a garden, you don't put the seed on the ground and then look at it and say, grow, grow. Grow. You know what you do? You put soil on it. You put water in it. You let the sun come on it. You just make sure it's healthy. And if it's healthy, it'll grow. You know why things don't grow? Because they're not healthy. Say, what's your agenda for church growth? Get the sin out of your life. Get you to read your Bible. Get you to pray. Get you to go soul winning. Get you to grow. And if you grow spiritually, the church will grow. I don't have to worry about it. If it's healthy, it'll grow. So what's our agenda for church growth? Preach the Bible. And by the way, that's why we, we do a lot of, you know, just preaching through books of the Bible. We give you a whole lot of just the Bible in heavy doses. Why? Because that's what you need help in. People get mad at me and say, ah, you're, you know, they get mad because I don't preach, you know, every single sermon is not a topical sermon about their favorite pet peeve. But you know what? You, you You don't need another sermon on abortion. You don't need another sermon on the Sodomites. You need a sermon on stop being lazy and read your Bible and get right with God. That's what you need. That's what we all need. So what do we see in this passage? Number one, we see that salvation of God is purchased. Number two, we see that the search of God is pressing, and number three, we see that the scriptures of God are powerful. So what are you doing with it? Are you reading it? Are you spending time with it? Are you sharing it with others? It is the word of God that saves. It is the word of God that heals. It is the word of God that helps us grow. Let's bow our heads.